Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, my guests are Captains Chris and Elise Caldwell from Captain Chris Yacht Services, and our topic is going to be basic navigation. Before we bring in Chris and Elise, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral-level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And another business that supports the Great Loop is Captain Chris Yacht Services, and uh, they are sponsors of AGLCA as well. Chris and Elise, thanks for joining me today. Good morning. Sunny Florida. Glad to be back on Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, we're happy to have you back. And uh, one of the things that we've been noticing is we've got a lot of newer members who are somewhat new to boating. But we've also got uh, members who haven't necessarily boated um, in the types of waters that they're going to be doing for the Great Loop. In fact, until you've done the Great Loop, there's always some unfamiliar water. So we thought it would be helpful to talk some about some basic navigation skills. So, of course, I thought immediately of the two of you, and I know this would be a lot easier in a visual medium than in one that is just audio, uh, but we're going to go ahead and give it a shot. So let's start um, on basic navigation. I think the first topic you mentioned is that communication is the key, not just for navigation, but for all boating skills. So let's start there. Absolutely, and it's funny that you should say that because Quite frankly, it would be easier if we could have a visual on this, but that's what the communication, why it's so important, because when you are talking to each other on a boat, specifically about navigation, but for just about anything, you need to talk to each other like you are on the telephone, where you can't see each other, because sometimes you can't, or sometimes the person can't look away from where they are facing to, to see what you're trying to describe. So you can't just say, hey, look, there's a boat over there. Where? Where does that mean? So first thing we tease, but we are serious when we say, speak to your mate and your captain like you speak to your dog. Sit, stay, down, which are short, simple, very clear, repetitive words. You use the same word over and over again to mean the same thing so that there's no confusion. You get a look on your dog's face when some stranger comes in and says, oh, come over here. And what does that mean? They understand come and that's it. So if you start using different phrases in your navigation uh, conversations, your mate or your captain could become confused. So you want to be consistent and short in the words that you're using so that there's no confusion. The so, Elise, kind of give of us that, an example of that, if you would. You know, give us an example of something that um, you would say to Chris if you were trying to alert him to, you know, perhaps a hazard as you're cruising along the waterway. Uh, something simple would be, uh, do you see that water skier 2 o'clock off your starboard bow? So if you use the clock as a reference, 12 o'clock is dead ahead, 6 o'clock is your stern, 2 o'clock is a little bit to your right. So right. you described a water skier. Uh, they may fall off their water skis, and they're at the 2 o'clock position. So that tells the person driving the boat, the helmsman, where to look for um, a possible concern. Might have a skier fall off. 
So that, that's okay. one way of doing it. And another thing is because of wind, engine noises, VHF radio noises, and also Jimmy Buffett, uh, there might be a lot of background noise. So you may have to repeat something a second time. But the most important thing to remember is when somebody tells you something, say, okay, hey, got it. Acknowledge that you understood their communication. Some of, some of our students even like to repeat what the person said. That's, for some of us, that might be a little bit more than we want to do, but you have to acknowledge that you heard it. Or your next step is that the person who spoke needs to say it again and say the same thing again. Not, didn't you hear me? And get all upset. <laughs> because the fact is, they really might not have heard you. And another piece of it is they may not have heard you because you may not have been speaking directly to them either. Let's face it, most of us, I used to be able to say none of us, but there's quite a few young people looping these days, but most of us are a little older than we were when we started out voting, and we don't hear as well as we used to. And then add all those other um, situations that Chris talked about, and, and the noise can really interfere with what we hear. So it's really important to acknowledge what you heard and repeat it if necessary, so that anything you do give to, the, the as the navigator, if you give it to the helmsman, you're giving a good direction, a good piece of information, something that you know was heard, including the fact that you might believe that it's so obvious that they can see that next buoy, but maybe they didn't see that next buoy. So you want to make sure that they didn't just see that buoy over there, but they saw the red buoy that was at 9 o'clock or that was at 11 o'clock. And that's in relation to the boat, not where you're standing, but to the boat. So that's a, a real first piece, and that goes with all kinds of things, docking and anchoring and everything else on the boat. But for navigation, it's a very key piece of understanding navigation. So right. So at least the next, the you, next, go ahead. The next piece would be then, what are we looking for? And um, some people think, well, I'll just follow the, the waypoints that I'm going to plot on my GPS. Well, if you've never taken a course and you never understood what was what you were looking at, that GPS isn't going to really help you a lot because you're not going to be able to interpret much of what's there. So you want to understand the very basic symbols that are on charts and that are what you're going to see with your eyes. So aids to navigation are sometimes referred to as atons if you take any kind of a Coast Guard auxiliary class or a power squadron class, they're called, called atons. We refer to them as our reds and greens or we refer to them as floaters or buoys or see that um, uh, day beacon. There's a lot of different ways that you can refer to it. So again, you want to make sure you're using the same terminology with each other, whatever you agree to that you're going to understand. But you've got primarily red markers and green markers. And red, an easy way to remember, the color, I just said it, was red. But the shape as well is remember the word rent. R-E-N-T. Reds are an even-numbered triangle. Red is an even-numbered triangle. R-E-N-T. And then the opposite would be the greens. 
and we say, how are you going to remember greens? Because greens are square, and they're odd numbers. So we say song, S-O-N-G, square, odd-numbered green. So you have rent and song. And people say, well, I'll just stay between the two of them, and I'll know what I'm doing. Not always, because sometimes those day markers or buoys are very far apart. They're not paired. If they are paired, one right next to the other, and you're just going to go between the two of them, that usually is a reason, uh, such as it's pretty shallow right outside the channel, or there are some tricky turns coming up. Anytime you have a pair of reds and greens, or that one of one of them or both of them are lighted, that also could mean, hey, pay attention. There's something coming up. There's a turn. There's a, a curve in the channel. There's something where it's getting narrower or more specific that you must follow. And you think, wow, aren't all the markers lit? The answer is no. All markers are not lit. All navigation aids are not illuminated. And they're definitely not illuminated in the daytime for the most part. There are a few that might be very, very bright, like range markers, and we'll talk to that in a moment, in a, in a busy harbor. But for the most part, they are only um, lit at night. So let's go on a test. We've got Chapter 1, we talked about communications. In Chapter 2, we talked about red, even number triangles, and square, odd number greens. So... We did not mention that the square greens are also flat tops. It's square. It has to have a flat top. So let's think with the communications. The navigator is looking at the paper charts, and the helmsman is looking at the electronic chart, the GPS chart plotter or the tablet. So the navigator says, okay, we're looking for number 16. So what does the helmsman look for? When the navigator says we're looking for 16. Remember rent. R-E-N-T. Red, even number, triangle. So that means that 16 is red. That means 16 is a triangle. Now we've got some advantages here. If the sun is shining on the buoy or the day marker or the D-beacon, it will be red. It will also be a triangle. So here's the good thing. If you're westbound with the setting sun, that means the sun's in your eyes, you cannot see the red color, but you can still see the triangle. So shapes are just as important as the colors, and the colors are just as important as the numerals, even or odd numbers. So those are valuable communication skills and navigation skills. And uh, another thing we keep talking about is the numbers, whether they're even or odd. And what do those numbers mean? Well, the way the um, intercoastal waterway and river systems have numbered navigation aids is it's called a, a lateral numbering system, which means it starts at 1 and goes 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way up in some cases into the 200. So when does it start over? When you have a major intersecting body of water, you will often start over with those numbers again. And you think, well, what if they add numbers or delete numbers? Well, it's not usual that they delete. Sometimes one gets 
hit by somebody and taken out for a day or two until they can replace it. But adding buoys or, or day markers would mean that they would have to change all the numbers after that particular marker. So instead of changing all the numbers, if they add a marker, they'll say, this is 12A or 12B or 12C. And we've seen some places where they've added as much as D, E, F, and G. And at certain times of the year, if the shoals move a little bit, they might take away some of them. Then they put the, the buoys back again. And it can get really interesting. And you say, well, my chart only has 12. It doesn't have all those letters on it. So understand you want to get the most uh, recent chart or chip for your, for your chart plotter that you can possibly get your hands on. And even at that, it's only as good as the day it was printed or, or the chip was created. So updates are very important and paying attention to um, online sites like waterwayguide.com will help you see some of those changes as people report them. But want to make sure you understand that those numbers have nothing to do with distance. They are strictly in order of we know that after 12, if we're going in the up direction, you'll see 13 and 14 you'll be looking for. If we're going the opposite direction, after 12, you'll see 11 and 10. And so it just depends upon which direction you're heading. Now, how do we know which direction? Well, how do we know which sides we should keep these markers on? Red is on your right when the numbers are rising all the time. Let, let's make a little addendum right here. Anybody that's taken an official class from the Coast Guard Auxiliary, the U.S. Power Squadron, everybody is taught red right return. Truly they're taught red right return from sea. But if you're on the Tennessee River, that's a confusing statement. <laughs> if you're in the Chesapeake Bay, you're in the bay, you're not in the ocean. So red right return is a fact from sea, but if you're not in the sea or you're not returning, the easier way to remember is red right rising. So reds are red even number triangle, so that means they're going to be a 2, a 4, a 6, a 8, a 10, a 12. If the numbers are rising, they will be on the right hand or starboard side of the boat. And if the numbers are descending, they'll be on the left hand or the port side of the boat. It's that simple. It doesn't have to be too complicated. Yeah. So those are your primary aids to navigation, your reds and your greens. There are many, many other markers out there to learn about, but those are the basics. Those are the ones you're looking for to be able to find out how to get from point A to point B. But then there's special purpose markers, there's speed zone buoys, there's range markers that will help keep you on track in, a, in a, um, a strong current situation. And those are things that you can learn a lot more detail about if you take a course or just if you're motivated enough to do a little research online. There's lots of places um, where you can learn about some of those things, including on our YouTube channel, Ask Captain Chris. It, we have real-world videos out there for free that you can just click on and learn. 10, 15 seconds at a time, what we're looking at when we see it out there. And it's not going to be necessarily always 
the prettiest, brightest picture because sometimes the sun is in your eyes, there's fog out there, there's rain, and, and that's what you need to see. Just before so halftime break, I'd like to ask a question, and I'll give the answer after the halftime break. <laughs> so we talked okay, about red even, number, red, even number triangle. You've got a mental picture of that. We're, all, we're doing an audio. And a square odd number green. And those are nautical aids to navigation. So we've all been driving for 30 or 40 or longer years. Uh, the question before the break and the answer after the break. If you see a or an octagonal sign, what color is it? I'll give you a clue. It's red. And what does it say in Quebec? Arrête. It doesn't say stop. It says arrête. So you know it's a red octagonal sign, so you know you got to stop. But here's the poser. Here's the question that we'll answer after the break. If you're driving your car and you see an upside-down triangle, and the hint is yield, what color is it? We'll answer you after the break. All right. With that, we will be back in a moment. Winter Harbor Marina is located on the Oneida River, 1.5 miles west of Oneida Lake in Brewerton, New York just minutes from Syracuse International Airport. Winter Harbor offers the lowest diesel fuel and gas prices from New York City to Canada. If you find a lower posted documented price, they will match it. Their amenities include complimentary courtesy vehicle, 24-hour pay-at-the-pump fueling, dockside water and cable TV, pristine bathrooms and showers, and emergency haul-out service. For more information, call 315 676-9276 or visit www.winterharborllc.com Winter Harbor is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Leap Radio. Our guests today are Captains Chris and Elise Caldwell of Captain Chris Yacht Services, and they are walking us through some of the basics of navigation. Um, we've covered some communication topics that are important to this, and we've also covered um, some of the, the, the atons. Um, Chris, you left us with a question about a triang upside-down triangular sign and what color that would be. So let's pick up where we left off. Okay, not to embarrass anybody, but if you write it down on a piece of paper, I'll give you the answer. <laughs> if you're driving your car and you see an upside-down triangular sign that says yield, it is not yellow anymore. They changed it in 1972. Nowadays, since 1972, it's red and white. Red outer border, white inner. And the point I want to make is all of us older drivers before 1972 knew it as a yellow sign. But the more important factor to understand is we understood it as an upside down triangle and like the arete sign, we understood it was a, an octagonal sign. So I wanted to prove the value that shapes are important. Red even number triangle, square odd number green. Shapes are important. Now, on that note, shapes are important, but sometimes Mother Nature gets involved and ruins our shape. Sometimes you have beautiful 
eagles and egrets and all kinds of um, of uh, hawks and such that build nests on the top of a day beacon. And that sometimes will change the shape. It, it gives a, a triangle maybe the appearance of a big square. So be aware that if you can see the color, it's very helpful. So we want to talk in a moment about the tools, but let's look a little bit further about the um, uh, special things that you're going to see. This is very important, not only for navigation, but for just keeping everybody happy everywhere you go, and that is speed zones. One of the markers that, one of the aids to navigation that you're going to see are speed zones. Buoys often, sometimes they're signs, they're usually white with some sort of an orange circle on them, and they'll indicate to resume your speed or to slow your speed or to put your speed at idle. And there is a difference between slow speed and idle speed. Slow speed is bow settled in the water. And you might think, well, I'm in a trawler or I'm in a sailboat. Of course, I'm always going slow. Believe it or not, if you pull your throttle back to slow speed from what you've been running at, you will see a huge difference. Your bow will come down subtly in some cases, and your wake will become very minimal. Idle speed means enough to maintain uh, steerage, to maintain control of your boat. And for some of the more powerful boats, uh, powerful engines in boats, you sometimes have to put it into gear and take it out into neutral, and put it into gear and take it out into neutral in order to maintain steerage and still be at idle speed because their, their RPMs are so high and their engines are so powerful sometimes that they're going at the slowest speed they can go without taking it out into neutral, it creates too much of a wake. So how do we see all these markers? How do we see all these aids to navigation? Well, there are some tools that you need to have, some basic tools. Remember we said we don't always hear like we used to? Well, we don't always see like we used to. Some of us admit it and some of us still are fighting with it. So minimally, if you don't acknowledge that you need to wear eyeglasses to look from the chart over to a long distance, then have some binoculars. And not just a pair for the boat, but have a pair for each person who's going to be involved in driving and navigating. You might think, well, I'm driving. I don't need the binoculars. Yes, you do. And the reason why you need to each have your own pair is because most of us have different eyesight from our mate. So you want to have a pair that you can just pick up and immediately it's focused to your eyes as opposed to having to readjust them. Additionally, you want to have a pair that you've selected. So I know some of you might have thought, oh, this is a good present to go out and buy my mate. No, it's not. They need to buy it themselves or at least be there so that they can feel it, touch it, hold it up to their eyes and see if this works for them. So seeing with binoculars is extremely helpful. A magnifying glass, even for those of us who are wearing bifocals, sometimes if you're using paper charts, and I know for some of you, you're screaming, it's too old-fashioned, you don't need paper charts. Some of us still like paper charts. So a magnifying glass will help you with those very small um, words and symbols that are on the paper charts. Now, some of you think, well, we have a GPS on board, so I'm not going to worry about having paper charts. Well. Minimally, I would say you need to have one other separate standalone source for your chart. And it could be a tablet, it could be a laptop, 
It could be a second GPS. But if you've been driving the boat, would you really like to have your navigator reaching over your shoulder all the time, making the screen bigger or smaller or zooming forward or back or trying to find the nearest marina? It's, un- it's annoying at best, and it's dangerous at its worst. So you definitely want to have two sources, particularly two independent sources. I know, again, there's many of you, and there's a, a bunch of forum threads on the, on the Great Loop Forum. For those of you who are uh, members, you can read these threads that are terrific, where people are telling you what they like about a product, what they don't like about a product, what works, how it integrates, etc., etc. But you want to um, make sure that you have independent, at least two independent sources, because if one of those sources fails, whether it's electronic or from a, a, a blip in the, in the satellite system, which happens, believe it or not, once in a while, you have a secondary source that you can go to and, and at least see what you are expecting um, to look out the window and see. So you want to have eyeglasses, magnifying glass, binoculars, some sort of chart, whether it's paper, we prefer paper, or um, a, a secondary um, tablet. And then a depth sounder. Believe it or not, a depth sounder is very important because you can start to see trends. If you're starting to get a little bit close to the edge of the channel sometimes, you start to see your depth go very quickly, uh, shallower and shallower. So a depth sounder is very helpful in navigating. And something else very important about the depth sounder or the depth gauge, a lot of loopers are from middle America, the Great Lakes, maybe even Canada. My point being, there's no tide up there. We have tides on the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean. In uh, South Florida, where we live, our tide is about two feet. In Savannah, Georgia, the tide is about six or seven feet. Charleston's about eight or nine feet. So if you're coming through a choke point, you need to know if it's high tide, low tide, or in between, and you need to trust your depth gauge if you can get across the sandbar. And this is a skill that you'll need to learn. It's not difficult, but you'll need to learn to use your depth gauge to know that you can get across these choke points. Some names like Hellgate gives you a clue. Uh, <laughs> Mud Cut gives you a clue. Um, all these cuts mean that the Army Corps of Engineers dug a channel. It's not natural, and therefore it may show up from natural current tides twice a day, or it may show up because of a storm and not necessarily a hurricane, just a plain ordinary storm. So depth sounders are important. Um, I know we're running a little long on time, but let me just touch on the electronic equipment that a lot of people want to get involved with. Uh, Radar is great. Radar shows you what's really out there, except you need to practice with your radar to understand what the radar sees. Radar is a radio wave. It sends out a radio wave and it'll bounce off of a hard object like another boat or a tree or a building or a rock. But it gives you such a blurred, weird image. You need to interpret the radar imagery and it's much like looking at a sonogram or an ultrasound of a baby in the mother's womb. So you need to learn what you're looking at. Um, 
AIS. A lot of people are really keen on the automatic identification system. But understand that if that boat out there does not transmit AIS, it will not show up on your AIS receiver. So therefore, the radar, in my mind, is more valuable because the radar might see it. And then, of course, going back to basics, your binoculars. And your mate can say, look over there at that tugboat at 11 o'clock. He might be crossing our path. Now, again, like Chris said, I know we're getting long on time here. One of the things that we hope to be able to talk about, but we can do it another time, is the whistle signal, because that's a really important piece of navigation as well. And if you come to one of the uh, rendezvous, whether it's the upcoming uh, fall rendezvous or the spring, or even the Looperpaloozas, we have... Um, a great cheat sheet that's laminated for whistle signals that we can offer you and give you a little help on that on one side. And the other side's got some of the things that we talked about, about basic navigation, including actual pictures. Imagine that. <laughs> you can see what we've been talking about. So yes. if, we could, if we could encourage you at all to take a course, learn what it is that you need to uh, expect. What are you going to see when you look out the window? Your eyes are your best tool. But take a course to learn what all your other options are and how to interpret what your equipment is, is giving you for information. Because red, right, return just is not the whole story. Right. Definitely, thank you for, for sharing those details. That was great. We definitely would love to have you back to do whistle signals. Um, and as Chris and Elise said, um, the fall rendezvous is coming up, and they will be some of our um, most popular speakers, as they always are. Um, that is sold out, so if you didn't get in on that, we have a Great Loop Cruising, a guide to a loop the Looper Lifestyle is coming up in Annapolis, Maryland, November 16th and 17th. Um, that includes an AGLCA membership, so it's for both members and non-members. And it is open for registration on the greatloop.org website. So check that out, and we hope to see many of you there. Uh, Chris and Elise, once again, thanks for joining us. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Thank you.